I think singing for me has always been sort of like my special gift. And I discovered my voice when I was young, you know, a tween and, and pretty much have been riding that wave in different forms my entire life because it came very natural. And, you know, I studied and I took lessons and I practiced a lot, but I always had that thing that kind of came with, that was my special gift. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to, to find it. And in my, you know, the early years of my career, it was just about singing and how well I could sing. And I think as t over time, you sort of learn about other things. You learn that, oh, well, learning how to write is very important and learning how to perform is very important. And, oh, I need to play some instruments because I want to be more self-reliant, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But that ability to sing was gifted to me. And I've just, you know, pointed it in different directions over the years, you know, based on my environment. This is Unconditioning, discovering the voice within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Unconditioning, discovering the voice within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week I have with me Cynthia Catania, who is a singer, songwriter, and musician who has a wealth of experience. She was part of the band Saucy Monkey with Anne-Marie Collin, and they had a huge success in Ireland. They performed on festival stages for hundreds of thousands of people. And they also had some of their music on TV shows in the U.S., such as Veronica Mars and some Nickelodeon shows. She's also involved in the band the Secret Things, based in Los Angeles. And she's also embarked on her own journey as a solo artist. Actually, Cynthia was set to go to Ireland to promote her solo career on tour right when the pandemic happened, like right when everything shut down. So over the summer, she released a single called Remember, and the music video is a complete tribute to her saucy monkey days. And I think a lot of times as artists, it's difficult to express the journey that we've gone on to get to where we are. And I think that this music video that she has done and the song together combined is a beautiful reflection of this and how behind everyone's success is an incredible story of how they got there. Cynthia is also part of a company called Monolid Productions, which is a production company that she has with her partner, Sue Ann Pien, who you'll meet shortly in a different interview coming up. Cynthia and Sue Ann were also my housemates at one point. So I had the pleasure of kind of getting to take a peek into Cynthia's creative process a little bit. And uh, she's the real deal. Cynthia has a single coming out on February 4th called Last Beer, Campfire Remix. So be sure to look out for that on Spotify. I'll put the link in the show notes for you so that you can pre-save it so that you don't miss it. So here is Cynthia Catania. All right. All right. How are you? Oh, pretty good. <laughs> it's Life is still, I don't know, you know, it's day by day. Today was a, this morning was really good. And so I'm going to, I'm going to just be with that. I'm glad this is just an audio because uh, I didn't have to comb my hair, you know. Totally. What is the time in the pandemic? What has that done for your creative process? Since you were set to travel to Ireland 
to go on your tour and then the pandemic happened pretty much right when you were set to go off. Are you able to take advantage of the time or are you allowing things to flow? How has that been? Yeah, um, you know, sometimes I have uh, a challenge with flow. I'm like, <laughs> I like to buck the flow. But one thing it's, um, it's, uh, it's done for me is it's gotten me back into the producer's chair. And, you know, I have been recording my own music and the projects I've been a part of and other people, you know, other artists for hire. And my relationship with that work runs hot and cold. So during the pandemic, it's been my primary creative outlet. You know, I'll spend a good part of the week just recording and producing and sculpting, sculpting, you know, music. And right now it's been primarily for me or for projects my partner has been working on. Like I've done a few things for some visual stuff that she's working on. But, but that has been really good because it takes a tremendous amount of time, concentration. And I seem to be the kind of person who focuses very intently on one part of the craft at a time. If I'm, if, if I'm preparing to perform like for a tour, then all I'm doing is rehearsing and working out those arrangements. If I'm recording music, then that's all I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for me to flip flop between the two. And again, with promoting, if something comes out and I have to promote, well, then everything pauses and that's what I'm doing for my creative time. Mm -hmm. And you just released a single called Suitcase, which was an amazing visual experience. Oh, well, thank you. You'd have to thank the filmmakers for that. Um, but, you know, I was really, I was just really excited to have that song come out because it's a little bit more in line with some of the more minimal recordings I've been concocting over here in my <laughs> laboratory, just kind of impactful, but very simple and, uh, you know, hopefully contemporary sounding. And I feel like that one's a really good example of, of sort of like what I'm trying to cultivate. What was the inspiration for that song? You know, people talk about sometimes how, how they'll, they'll just tune into some kind of frequency and a, mm -hmm. and a, and a song will come. And I didn't sit down with the writing agenda. I just, you know, sat down and, and had a, you know, that verse chord progression and that whole first verse just sort of like came. And then I just built on it and I took it as far as I could. And then I brought it to a new collaborator I've been working with. Who's another, who's a songwriter who's very talented and wonderful, Beth Thornley. And she just, you know, contributed the chorus, um, the part after the one shot. And, you know, we just, you know, honed, honed in on the lyrics together. And, mm -hmm. and I was really happy with, with her contributions. I felt like it really took it in a direction that I, I might not have been able to go. And, and so, yeah, I was really excited about uh, everything about how that sort of, how it ended up. Speaking of tuning into a frequency, um, I've watched you perform live a bunch of times. And to be honest, it's it's a transcendent experience to be in the audience watching you because there's absolutely no doubt that every fiber of your being is connected to what you're doing. Mm. And you take the audience kind of on this journey to what feels like almost like Cynthia's corner of the universe. Maybe. Mm. It's almost like a different dimension. And so I'd love to start by digging deep into that alignment that you have back to the beginning of Cynthia 
So when did you discover that you had this voice that was completely your own? And how did you learn to access and express that? Well, you know, I think singing for me has always been sort of like my special gift. And I discovered my voice when I was a young, you know, a tween and, uh, and pretty much have been riding that wave in different forms my entire life because it came very natural. And, you know, I studied and I took lessons and I practiced a lot, but I always had that thing that kind of came with, that was my special gift. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to, to find it. And in my, you know, the early years of my career, it was just about singing and how well I could sing. And I think as over time, you sort of learn about other things. You learn that, oh, well, learning how to write is very important and learning how to perform is very important. And, oh, I need to play some instruments because I want to be more Mm self-reliant, stuff like that. But that ability to sing was gifted to me. And I've just, you know, pointed it in different directions over the years, you know, based on my environment when I was a kid and I was living on the East Coast, you know, it was all about acrobatics and early influences because I could sing and I could belt. It was all about, you know, being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like over time I've developed an ability to sort of appreciate less is more. So it, it's not that important to me anymore to be the best singer. It's more important to just connect to what feels most appropriate. And I think, you know, currently, like what you described so generously um, about what you've witnessed. And um, I mean, that makes me so happy because that's the ultimate goal. But that's that's been a pretty recent thing. I have to say that that's come about, you know, over the I think it started to happen when I would perform with the Secret Things, which is this rock band that I was a part of um, from 2016 and we're still sort of doing things. I'm working on one, a single for that band, but it's not super active and not mm-hmm. active at all during COVID. Right. But also segueing into my solo, this chapter of my solo career that started in mid 2019. And I have to attribute it to um, sobriety really, because I used to use, you know, having a drink or two before a show as my way of lubricating myself, of, 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 of warming up, of easing the anxiety of mm-hmm. performance. And, you know, as, as a sober person, I don't have that anymore. And so it helped me sort of look for something else. And I feel like whenever that's happening, that connection, that zone, that sort of like spiritual experience, it's because I'm tapping into something else. I'm tapping into some, you know, some escapism, some, something that's transcendent that who, you know, it's me and whoever is in the room, I guess it's wherever we want to go. And, and, and I know when I'm, when it's happening and I know when it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's amazing, you know, um, and it's very powerful, but it's not always there. Right. Do you remember the very first time that you discovered that you had that superpower as a child? (laughs) (laughs) As a what? As a, like when you were younger, you said that, um, you cultivated that since you were a tween. 
Well, you I'm not I'm not sure like I think the superpower of singing was something <laughs> I was aware of, but I yeah. don't know that I was ever aware of being having any you know, any ability to transcend. Even that language was just not a part of my beingness. Um it was always, you know, associated with how much fun it was or how free I was able to be. Right. So you said your sobriety helped you in your performance. Do you feel that it has also changed your voice and writing? Well, my writing for sure. Just, you know, I think it's so funny. I had a review from a from a from a live stream I did in April, and I was so offended because the writer said something about that I had my songs were really sad <laughs> and I and I don't feel like my songs are sad anymore but maybe there is still a tinge of sadness but they used to be very sad we used to describe our songwriting as desperately hopeful <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just more on the desperate side um but yeah I write about other things now besides broken relationships or heartbreak or disappointment so even you know the the subject matter of suitcase the sub to me that suitcase is about um you know um the that relationship between the runner and the one who's chasing the runner mm. and the, it's sort of like an attachment style in relationship and sometimes people are plagued with that running that tendency to run away their entire life. So for me, it was a, more a story about that kind of a relationship, that kind of a person that, you know, you'll never get close to this person, no matter what you try. It's just mm -hmm. not possible because their, their bag is always packed. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a suitcase and having a bag packed, uh, your experience in Ireland with Saucy Monkey um, yeah, that was pretty incredible to, um, it was a dream come true. Um, we were really fortunate. We had a lot of wonderful opportunities. Um, the other singer in the band and, and the, you know, other writer, my partner, Anne-Marie Cullen, um, grew up in Dublin and had lived in the States for a number of years and brought our first EP home. And I don't even know whose idea it was, but she handed it off to a local DJ and the DJ started to play our music on a station that was the equivalent to, let's say, K-Rock. It was more like KCRW, but, but national mm -hmm. and a bigger listenership than KCRW. But, you know, stylistically, it was more like that. And, um, you know, and so we booked a radio tour because there were other stations that started to play the songs. And then we were invited um, to do TV led to, you know, press in, in their version of, of Rolling Stone, which is Hot Press Magazine. And we were invited to do festivals. We played these enormous festivals, you know, audiences of, you know, this one oxygen festival, like the, the base audience was like 60,000 people and, uh, O2 in the park, we had an opportunity to perform that. And that was over a hundred thousand people. And we were able to, we got invited to do the colors festival in Ostrava, which is in the Czech Republic. And so we had all these incredible adventures. Yeah. How do you feel that being in Ireland affected you as an artist and also a person? Well, I think what it did is it opened up the possibility for me. I, I feel like in America, 
opportunities are are there only for a very small few. But I had this sense that outside of America, you know, if you if you can figure out how to get there somewhere else, you can target a niche and create and cultivate a career, which has been my experience with Ireland. Mm-hmm. Do you have a place where you feel like yourself most authentically? You mean to perform in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I bring that with me wherever I go. Yeah. When it's working. Sometimes it doesn't work. But when it's working, I feel like that's something I bring. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I feel that when I've seen you perform, for sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but, I, but I do feel like it's it's... You bring it and then whether or not people respond to it is another thing. Right. Yeah. You know, because like maybe you're not like I feel like there's a there's more openness to musical styles outside of my experience of America. Or I just haven't found the right place. You know, I haven't found the right niche because I've you know, I spent my youth in New York and the rest of the time I've been in California. And they're probably two of the most competitive areas. Had I been in Austin, who knows, you know, maybe I would have a very different career. What prompted you to move to California from New York? The weather. The weather, having a reprieve from the, I don't like East Coast weather. And and also, I think the romance of the music scene in the 60s, I always, and even, you know, the film industry prior to that, you know, the silver screen age, I always found very romantic. And the 60s music community was just the most compelling thing to me as a kid and I feel like maybe I grew up in the wrong period you know I kind (laughs) of missed my time like had I been you know in that time it might have been a better fit maybe you can bring it back (laughs) (laughs) maybe so so your first experience in LA as a musician was that through Saucy Monkey or were you performing solo yeah I came out here you know I had bands uh, in New York, I had a band in New York that I was a part of, and I just came out on my own. And I, I was primarily a singer. I didn't perform, you know, playing an instrument. So I basically learned how to do that while I was out here. So my early shows were open mics, pl- plunking away on a on this guitar. I had one from a radio contest, and and I just did that. I just learned how to play, and started to. I did a lot of open mics at Highland Grounds. And then I remember the early gigs were I played at the Crooked Bar, which was um, the basement at the Coconut Teaser, which was a which was a club on the Sunset Strip. And I guess they let anybody play <laughs> because I had a lot of shows there and kind of cut my teeth on, on that. And then I also f- started this little group called the Sugar Junkies, which was myself and uh, a fellow who played percussion and harmonica and he just accompanied whatever I was doing. And we, we, um, we, we started playing at this little sober bar on sunset Boulevard by the tattoo shops called ground zero. And I would just show up every Thursday night or whatever night my residency quote unquote was. And I just played there and just played and played and played and played and uh, learned how to do it pretty much. And then well, I had that band. I made, I was working at studios. Like that's how I paid my rent. And I made my first recording 
with a with an up and coming engineer, and then everything led to everything. You know, mm -hmm. I, I met this this uh, filmmaker who wanted to do a pilot on music shows, and so the Sugar Junkies were one of the acts. And then that sort of led to I don't know how, when it happened, but I I was inspired by Ani DeFranco and her sort of do it yourself mentality. Mm -hmm. um, I started to do some college shows and break into that world and that way of self-finance and paid gigs. And then at some point I met Anne-Marie and then she invited me to perform at, um, she had an open mic on Sunday nights. And then that became Saucy Monkey. And that was around 2001 that we started working together and doing that sort of, oh, that's Alexa. I don't know how to shut her off. That's okay. Where was I? Yeah. And that's how Saucy Monkey started. It started at O'Brien's Pub on a, on Sunday nights. We would all get together and just, you know, play each other's songs. And then we had so much fun that we decided to start to write songs together. And that went really well and had a lot of flow. And then, you know, we were going to break Saucy Monkey into the college scene. And then all of this stuff started to happen in Ireland and we just changed gears Yeah, and started to create a bona fide career. Pretty fabulous. So since having all that experience in a band situation and arrangements and now pursuing a solo career again, what wisdom can you bring to combine with yourself from the girl that was performing at open mics? Are you finding some similarities from that time? Um, gosh, I think it was very difficult for me to in the beginning, when I was by myself, all I craved was partnership. I didn't want to do it by myself. And then during all the band years, for the most part, it was pretty enjoyable. And then at a certain point, I think I wanted more creative freedom to just, you know, do my do, experiment. But it was very difficult for me to break away. And I didn't even really break away. It was just circumstances that sort of got in the way. And then I was left with, you know, an open calendar. And I just decided to, to face this kind of scary endeavor of making mm -hmm. music on my own. And I tried a few different things, like I hired a producer for phones was the first song that I, 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 you know, put out and in this chapter of my solo career and Brad Gordon produced that. And there were things about that, that I loved that experience. And then there were things where I wanted to be more involved with and, and little by little, I, you know, I, um, you know, I, I have this, I have people that I go to, to, to contribute to the recordings, like I'll hire musicians to play certain instruments because I, I just like how they do it. But I love sort of having more creative power about how the final turns out. Mm -hmm. I discovered that. And now I have a, a method where I think before I didn't really have a method because what we would do is we would just play a song, play it live, keep playing it till it felt really great. And then we'd go record that. And so mm -hmm. this other way of doing things is you basically sort of, you have the bare bones chords and melody and lyrics, and then you figure out how to elaborate on it. And right. I've been honing in on that process the past couple of years, kind of like trying to come up. Chiseling away at a sculpture. Yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> and to just really, for me, just really trying to do this less is more approach. Mm -hmm to music making. Yeah. What is your process like? Because you're a very skilled musician um, and a performer. 
So what is your process as far as technique, the balance of technique, and then finding the moment where you can let the rigidity of that go and just be in what you're doing? I don't know if I find the process technical at all, to be honest. Um, I just keep sculpting and keep working on until I like how it sounds. Like I have, uh, and I feel like the recording process is very similar to the writing process and it'll, you'll just be working on it. And all of a sudden the right arrangement will emerge the more you sit with it. And sometimes that's quick process and sometimes it's, it's, it's not quick at all. There's like something that sort of gnaws at me when I listen to it and I'm like, oh, it's not quite right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like how that sounds. Um, Yeah, so I'm gnawing at a few things right now. But there are moments where it just seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah, like even how Suitcase ended up, I had a completely different arrangement, you know, recording shell. And I played it for Sue Ann, my partner, and she... I, she, I was like, which one do you prefer? And she was like wholeheartedly preferred the one that it ended up being. And I just, you know, started to work on that one. And, and it was, I was grateful for the feedback because I guess that's what you don't have when you're in there by yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> I can understand that one. So if you, if you could name or describe what that magic is when it just flows out of you what would you say where where does that come from well it doesn't come from me that's for sure i guess you know for lack of a better word it would be divine intervention the universe flow people call it you know it's semantics you can call it all mm-hmm. kinds of things but um it's sort of i think it's like very um very much the same sort of fluidity that you need to tap into when you're performing you can't be too controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a lot of flexibility, openness, willingness. And, you know, I do find recording to be one of the most dharmic activities that I have. Mm-hmm. I get very, very lost, very present, very consumed by all of the elements. Um, and it's, you know, I might have an intention to sit down for 30 minutes and it'll, you know, it'll be three hours later when I look up. Yeah, that's that's the magic right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I articulated an answer to your question, but that's sort of what it's like. Absolutely. Do you have any rituals that you do before you start to write or record? No, I should, though. I mean, I think I would do something as if I could remember, because I don't know why it's so difficult to remember things, but I always want to bring... I think, you know, before I perform sometimes, I'll have this prayer of sorts where I, where I, you know, basically remind myself to be of service to the audience, mm-hmm. which was a big shift to the sort of narcissistic uh, self-consciousness that one can have when pre- performing and to actually intentionally shift that to let me be of service to this audience mm-hmm. is a very, creates a very different experience. And I, I actually am, I have not, developed any kind of prayer like that for my recording but so that's probably what's missing i probably need to do that what is the first thing that you think you'll do music wise when the world opens back up um i would love to uh you know tour with other performers you know at 
during COVID, I've talked to a few people. There's a performer, his name is Jimmy Necco, who has been the leader of the band Hours for many years. And he's, um, he's a friend from New Jersey who has been very successful and has a cult, you know, cult fan base. Mm -hmm. and, and he invited me to do some shows with him. So I hope that comes about. And that would be touring in the United States. And then I have friends in Ireland and also another American band that's, you know, Celtic. And they're, you know, that was one of the tours that was canceled at the beginning of COVID. And he's, you know, that band leader invited me to do shows with them when they go back. So if either of those things happen, it'd be a great way to roll out and get going. Mm -hmm. Yeah collaboration mm -hmm. and Again. just yeah yeah and just you know doing more of that sort of like buddy touring which is which sounds really appealing to me yeah did you have any mentors to kind of show you the ropes or people who inspired you along the way yeah very much so um you know aesthetically regarding you know the kind of music that I like the kind of instruments and amps that I play and even some of my production choices nowadays I got most of that from um, my first producer out here in California. His name is Tad Wadhams. He's a bass player. And we were neighbors and, and a manager in, you know, in, in my early days out here introduced me to him, to him for a co-write. And then from that, we made my first EP and he produced it and played most of the instruments. And, you know, I would get home from work and go over to his house. And he had a very, you know, very eclectic taste and loved all the old like K's and um, played all kinds of like Sears instruments, like silver tones. And, and it just opened up a whole world of like interesting sounds to me mm -hmm. that I still, you know, yeah. like and prefer and bring to my music. So he was my first mentor. And then, you know, I think Anne-Marie was a songwriting mentor for me. And, you know, currently I have like production, you know, people who compose and produce who I'll send my stuff to and they'll give me feedback. And then in the course of developing other skill sets, like my friend, Michael James, he's a world-class mixer. And he, I think early days was teaching me how to mix. Like it was, I was still a part of Saucy Monkey and I brought him some stuff and, and, you know, I had all of these opportunities to split away from writing and performing and do other work. And I never fully immersed myself in, in those careers, but I, but I do have skill sets from, mm -hmm. from those investigations and, and learning how to mix. And I'm not a mixer, but I can get my stuff really close. And then, you know, so I would, I would definitely put him in there as one of my mentors as well. And you um, are a mentor to a lot of people who are struggling with sobriety, I think. And you're pretty open about that. Or are you not open about that? <laughs> no, I am. I am. I am open about it. I think it's um, it's a really good way to live. And it's really helped me sort of, I feel like I went full circle from the pitfalls of of, you know, using chemicals to lubricate myself and to perform and to have a good time to learning how to let go of all of that and find something else. And mm -hmm. I think that that has been a very important journey for me personally, because there was a point when I was, you know, anyone who really takes the creative arts 
and tries to bring, make, make a business out of it is going to have to deal with a certain amount of disappointment, rejection, failure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, there is a sadness and a, a discontent that comes with that, that sometimes people hit that point and just stop and they quit. But I feel like I was at that point of, you know, not knowing what to do next and what brought me back around and able to move through that block was my sobriety. Mm -hmm. What advice could you give someone who is a musician and is struggling with that? I would suggest you put it down if it's a problem. If you find that, you know, you're using it to soothe emotions that are you know, the emotion of disappointment and, and the, 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 just the part, you know, failure is just a part of the process. And if you're using substances to sort of cope with disappointment and failure, maybe you're using them too much and you could explore putting it down. Maybe putting it down and being able to access your inner voice in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like meditation is a way to sort of you know, connect to your intuition. Mm -hmm. And that can be very, you know, very powerful tool for any part of life. You know, any, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. You know, you can ask your higher self in, you know, during a meditation and answers will come. Yes. And speaking of that intuitive inner voice, if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? Stop destroying the environment. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> Play nice. <laughs> We're in this together. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, politics is challenging for for people in recovery because it's, you know, being angry is like a, you know, they say this in the big book. They say it's a luxury afforded to normal men. Mm, I like that. A luxury afforded to normal men. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So thank you for joining me. Oh, this was awesome. Thanks yeah. for having me. If people would like to find you, where can they find your wonderful contribution to the world? Oh, aren't you a doll? Um, just my website, CynthiaCatania.com. Pretty much anything I'm doing, you can link to and through all my social media links. I'm not the most active. I'm a little bit verklempt with social media. (laughs) I do always have links to my current work. Spotify, my music is on Spotify. Please follow me. Get some YouTube videos. I'll put all of these links in the show notes so people can access them. Yeah, and this last video for Suitcase was released by the Hot Press Video uh, YouTube channel, and that was a real, uh, you know, wonderful thing that they did makes me feel very connected to that music community Mm -hmm. and I just really look forward to you know cultivating cultivating my performances overseas as well as you know finding a niche here in the states yeah well pandemics stop happening so you can go back to Ireland (laughs) no it's been very like I haven't been performing I only had one performance during the entire pandemic just because I just, the video Zoom thing is like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh. It's true, but I feel it's a great time for inner reflection, which we don't always get to have mm-hmm. because of the busy, busy, go, go, go oh, style. Yeah. Well, the stopping, you know, I yeah. think that's what makes people go a little crazy. I think the people who 
who aren't able to sit with themselves and sit in quiet are having an incredibly difficult time during the pandemic with that quietness. Mm -hmm. It can be very loud. (laughs) 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 Well, we miss you. I miss you guys too. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.